Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Kortz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. Well, I see you made it through all the cold weather. You did make it, right? Okay, good, good. It's important that you made it and that you're actually here. You made it, right? All right. Well, it was, it happened for me in second grade um, in Ardmore in Winston-Salem. One day, the teachers handed out some manila paper and some crayons, and she told us to spread out across the room and find a spot on the carpet And then she gave us some very specific instructions. She said, I want you to draw a picture of who you want to be and what you want to do when you grow up. I want you to draw a picture of who you want to be and what you want to do when you grow up. I remember looking down on that paper and I didn't have to think twice about what I was going to draw. And while others were in the room drawing pictures of firemen and policemen and dump truck drivers, nurses and doctors and vets, I was drawing a picture of myself standing behind a podium. I wasn't standing behind the podium to preach I was standing behind the podium to lead. I wanted to be the leader of all the dump truck drivers and all the police and firemen and uh, all of the vets and all of the nurses and the doctors. And on that podium, I put a picture in my second grade way of the great seal of the president of the United States. Now... I confess, either I was uber ambitious or strange, or both. I confess that's all probably true, but that experience is one I've never forgotten because it sparked in me something that was already there and has never left me. What the teacher was actually doing, and I can't remember a name to save my life, My first grade teacher, I remember her name. She was mean as a snake. (laughs) This nice teacher, I can't remember her name. I don't know why you would think, but anyway. But I'll never forget it because what she was actually asking, what she was actually saying is, what will you do with your life? What will you do with your story? What difference will you make with your life and your living? What she was really asking was this, what will be your glory? What will be your glory? And it strikes me as I think back on that day, every single kid in the room knew exactly what they wanted to be and do. We all wanted our lives to count. We all wanted our lives to have weight. We all wanted our lives to be significant. We all wanted glory. We all wanted something called greatness. And we wanted that greatness to be part of our story. 
We all wanted to live truly great lives. Nothing has changed since then. The great ambition of every generation is the same. The problem, though, for most of us is we've never really thought through what true greatness actually is. We often assume that greatness, the kind that counts and lasts, has something to do with status or wealth or position or identity or ability or impact. We all have yet and still a driving need to live and to make a difference with our living. We all long to hear others around us say, and I want you to hear this, we all have this, this longing to hear others say to us, you are truly great. You're a great mom. You're a great dad. You're a great worker. You're a great this. You're a great that. We all long to hear somebody say to us, you truly are great. Glory really is part of your story. But what is true greatness? And what is a truly great life? And how do you actually go about getting such a life? These are important questions. Now, here's the reality. Every person in this room has already answered those questions for himself or herself. But I guess the issue becomes, have we gotten it right? We've defined greatness, but have we gotten it right? We've defined a great life, but have we gotten it right? We, we've decided how we go about it, but have we gotten that right? We need to know and we want to know, for none of us in truth wants to waste our lives. Not one of us second graders wanted to waste our lives. There is not a person in this room who got up this morning and said, I'm going to waste my life. Now, In our passage for the morning, John uh, offers us some unexpected answers to these questions as he begins to close now his prologue and introduction to Jesus. So far, if you've been with us, you know that he's given us Jesus' name as the eternal word, his game as that of life, of giving life, his story as that of bringing a new story into old stories so old stories are made better stories. But today in our passage, Found in John 1, verses 14 to 18, he points us to Jesus' glory. And if you're going to know a person, you need to know their name, you need to know their story, you, you need to know their name and their game, you need to know their story, but you also need to know their glory. What are they known for? What have they lived their lives for? What has been significant about them? That is what John tells us here in John chapter 1, beginning at verse 14. Will you join me there? And let's read together John 1, 14 through 18. And the word... That same word, go back to verse 1, that same word that was with God, that was present with God, that was God, that same word, the word that created all things, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen, John says, his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness to him, by the way, and verse 15 is parenthetical. John bore witness about him, by the way, and cried out, yes, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. 
And from his fullness, verse 16, John continues, John the apostle continues, and from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, no one has seen God, ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Now, I want you to notice in the first 15 words of this passage, John tells us that the creator of all things, whom he names the preexistent eternal word of God, whose game was giving life and whose story was one of making old stories new, came in a most unexpected way, in a vulnerable way, in a temporary body like ours. And the way John says that he and others knew that this man, this Jesus of Nazareth, they knew that this divine word had come in the flesh was that he had about him a particular, peculiar glory. A particular, peculiar glory. It was a glory that they saw. It was a glory that they experienced. He proceeds to explain this to uh, to explain this glory that he saw and he challenges us in this passage to actually reconsider greatness to reconsider what a truly great life is to reconsider how such a life is actually gained he shows us and and and, and the way he does this is by showing us the greatest life ever lived the life of Jesus of Nazareth. So with Jesus as his standard, John explains three things. He explains first what true greatness always does. Then he explains what true greatness essentially is. And finally, he explains what true greatness finally brings. What it is, what it does, what it is, what it brings. What it does, what it is, what it brings. Let's look at this together. First, he helps us to see verse 14 what true greatness always does. He says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and notice, and we have seen his glory. John moves from Jesus' story to his glory by explaining to us just how it is that he and the other first disciples came to know that Jesus of Nazareth was this eternal word of God. There are two key words here. There's see and glory, see and glory. Glory is basically greatness. If I were going to give you a, a quick definition of glory, I would just say greatness. Glory is greatness. But if you wanted to expand it a bit, glory is the majesty and beauty and worth of a person or an activity or a thing. It is majestic, greater. It is beautiful. You, you love to see it. It is worthy. It's heavy. It has consequence. It has significance. That's, that's glory. But perhaps for us, as we enter into this passage, see is, is uh, a critical word, perhaps more critical. The word for see is used to describe what happened to spectators in a theater who were intently watching and observing what was happening on the platform or on the stage, and they're watching with wonder, awe, and understanding. And so with it, John is saying, look, being with Jesus, watching Jesus was like being a spectator in the most remarkable theater. We watched the most spectacular life lived out before us. We had no idea such a human life could ever be lived like this life was being lived. 
We, we had no idea that such power actually existed. We had no idea that such wisdom and such light could be had. And yet, there it was, right in front of us. The view, he was saying, was in short, glorious. Because what we saw in Jesus was something we couldn't help but see. It was someone who was full of glory. Now, here's what I want you to see. Glory, in whatever form it comes, always compels our attention. It not only invites us to look and see it, glory draws us to see it. You can eventually choose to ignore it if you want to, but you can't overlook it. Why? Because whatever comes with glory is so distinct, so majestic, so beautiful, so worthwhile, that it just stands out. It just stands out. You cannot go to Niagara Falls and overlook it. You get there and you go, I had no idea. John says, we saw him. We saw a glory we couldn't overlook. The more we looked, the more we saw, and the more compelling Jesus' glory actually became. What John saw, millions, of course, have also seen and come to the same conclusion. He is far more than a, a, a mere man. You see, just see his glory. Now, you can, you can ignore Jesus, but here's the reality. In the end, you can't, you can't overlook his glory. You cannot overlook his glory. His glory still impacts our lives today. Now, pause with me just for a minute and, and back up and think. Jesus lived on this planet for 33 years. 33 years. He was in the public eye for only 36 months. He never traveled more than 200 miles from his hometown. He was completely unknown during his lifetime beyond little Palestine. And yet, today, there are no peoples or places that his life and influence haven't touched. His appearance in human history has left it massively changed. Listen, listen. Every single time I open my laptop, I am told the date for the day. And that date is based on this marker between before his coming and after his coming. Windows Microsoft reminds me every single time. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a PC guy, I'm not an Apple guy. Every single time that there was a man named Jesus and something that he brought to this planet has made an eternity's worth of difference. To this very day, though I find it offensive, it's telling that, when, that, that people who don't follow him, people who don't believe in him, still use his name to curse by. Many, many people have lived and died. Many, many people had greatness about them. 
But nobody ever hits a shank on the golf course or burns their hand on a stove and shouts, George Washington. (laughs) Nobody. The greatness and the glory of Jesus is such that it penetrates to the very lives of those who, who today ignore him and, re- and reject him. He has a glory that you cannot overlook. You can ignore it, but you cannot overlook it. If the test of true greatness is what a person leaves behind after they're gone, Jesus is the epitome of greatness. So this is what John says. I walked with Jesus. I watched Jesus. I came to know him intimately. And whereas with other people, when we first meet them, we tend to exaggerate the good we see only to downgrade our view as we get to know them better and can begin to see them for all they are, including their flaws with Jesus. The more time I spent with him, the more impressive he became. He was first to me an interesting man, then he was an impressive man, then he was an unexplainable man, and then he was glorious. Great beyond words. And the more I watched, the less I could take my eyes off of him. True greatness, what it always does. True glory, what it always does, invites us to see it, invites us to look with wonder and with longing. But of course, not all that goes by the name of glory and invites us to see it and want it is worth seeing and wanting with our lives. Only a true glory lasts and is worth that. So what is true glory? What is true glory? What is true greatness? Look with me at verse 14b. To his declaration, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. John adds an explanation and says, the glory we saw was glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, glory is an interesting word because it has a couple of different meanings. Um, it, 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 it can be used to describe the significance or the weightiness and value of a person or thing or activity, or glory can describe the response that it uh, evokes from us. When you see something glorious, you, it's, it's almost like you can't help yourself. You want to say glory. You want to say glory. You want to say, wow. That, that's the modern way of saying glory. It's just wow, uh, uh, wow, awesome, or whatever. It, it, it evokes it. Glory seeing begets glory giving. It's what happens when you watch a great game of basketball and you find yourself standing and cheering when a significant, hard to explain game is witnessed. Can anybody say ACC championship? (laughs) I mean, where did the Hokies come from? I don't know whether to feel sorry for Coach K or... Yeah, I know, people have strong opinions. I shouldn't have said that. I should have just left it alone. I should have just left it alone. But he lost his final game at Cameron Stadium, and then he's lost this one, and, well, 
I think there's a story uh, uh, or a lesson about glory in that. You think? You might have it, but you aren't going to keep it if you haven't got the right glory. That was pretty good. I should remember that for the next service. Yeah. But whenever we see a form of greatness, we give it glory. It's why we stand. It's why we yell. It's why we, we scream in a ball game. Either, either that or we, we're lacking some glory and we're angry. But we say, yes, that, that's significant. That's great. But the glory John and the others saw wasn't the typical kind of run-of-the-mill human glory of an ACC championship or of a Caesar, a Plato, an Einstein, a Picasso, a Grammy Award winner, a Steve Jobs, a Jeff Bezos, a president or a prime minister. Now, this, this glory was different. It was a uniquely divine glory. He said, glory as of the only son from the father. This was a perfect glory. It was a one-of-a-kind glory, the kind of glory that only the divine father can give to and share with his son. It was the kind of glory only God could have. And while this God has infinite power, true, his glory or greatness isn't simply, John is telling us, a matter of power and what he can do that no one else can. His glory is actually far more than that. It's a matter of who he is. It's a matter of what he's like. And so John says he knew that Jesus was the word made flesh because it was clear that Jesus' glory was God's glory. And watch this. And he said, I knew it was God's glory because, what's the next phrase? It was full of grace and truth. It was full of grace and truth, which is a little bit odd. We, we would say, no, I knew he was, I knew he was glorious. I knew he was great because I saw him heal. Well, that's true, but there's more to it. He, he saw the power of Jesus, but he also saw something more. He saw the character of Jesus. He saw that he was full of grace and truth. Now, what in the world does that mean? And how does that help us understand what true greatness really is? Well, you actually have to make a little journey into the Old Testament to, to uh, understand what John is getting at. There is a critical juncture that uh, uh, can be found in the life of Moses and Israel. And if you have the courage, you can turn with me to Exodus 33 to 34. If you lack that courage, you say, I don't know where Exodus is. It's the second book of the Bible. But if you don't have the courage, just stay with me. But in Exodus 33 and 34, when Israel had failed to be faithful to God on their journey to the promised land, God threatened to send them on their way without his presence and without his glory. And Moses pleaded with him not to do it. Moses knew that Israel, and he knew he needed both, when God relented and said he would go with Moses and the people, Moses then used that opportunity to ask God directly. And he said to God, show me your glory. I want to see your glory. Like every one of us, Moses had a longing for greatness. Moses had a, an innate longing to see what was great and to be associated with it. And he knew of nothing and no one greater than God. So he's asking the right person to do something he really needed to have done. Show me your glory. Show me your greatness. I want to see it. I want to know it. I want to experience it. 
So he says, show me. In Exodus 33, 18 to 23, the scripture says, uh, gives this report. And Moses said, 33, 18, please show me your glory. And the Lord said, watch this. This is so important. Don't miss this. And the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim before you my name, name standing for who I am, what I'm like. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Now notice, Moses asks to see God's glory or greatness. And God's response is this. All right. Do you want to see my real glory? I will make all of my goodness pass before you. Do you see? God's greatness and glory are are supremely defined by his goodness. Ultimately, what makes God great, what makes God supremely great is his supreme goodness, his kindness, his benevolence, his helpfulness, his love. God makes an appointment with Moses and tells Moses to meet him at Mount Sinai the next morning. And in Exodus 34, 6, we find that display of God's glory and goodness recorded for us. The scripture says in Exodus 34, 6, the Lord passed before him. Remember, he's showing him his goodness, right? He said, I'm going to let you see my my goodness. The Lord passed before him and complained and, and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful, a God gracious, a God slow to anger, a God abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Notice how then God describes his glory as goodness, and then he defines his goodness as being seen in the way he abounds, or he is full of steadfast love and faithfulness, or as John puts it, full of grace and truth. So God's glory and God's greatness is supremely his goodness. And the witness of John here is that wherever Jesus was, this goodness of God, this glory and greatness were present in the extreme. He said, the more I saw him, the more I experienced of him, the greater the glory because it was anchored in an inexplicable, unending goodness. Goodness. I can can barely imagine what it must have been like to spend a day with Jesus. (laughs) To be in the presence of perfect goodness. I mean, every time you go to bed that night, you're going, that was good. That was good. That was good. Kindness. The benevolence. The help. This love is just not ever deserved. You just 
comes and it just keeps coming and it just keeps coming and it just keeps coming and my hungry heart just keeps getting filled back up and filled back up and filled back up. Oh, I, I know he was glorious. I know he was great because he was so perfectly good. Nothing comes close. The more I see, the more I want, the more I get, the more I see, the more I want, the more I get. No limit. Have you ever been in love? If you're married, please raise your hand. I'm too busy in March and April to do a lot of marital counseling, so you just raise your hand. All right, there we go. Had a couple of late people, but good, good, okay. All right, so we'll ask it again. Have you ever been in love? Do you remember those early days of being in love? Other hand, yep. You ever want those, other, those days back? Don't raise your hand. Do you remember those days, though? You could just never get enough. So you got to be careful right there. <laughs> you just got to be careful. You just need to listen. Probably don't do anything but listen. Just listen. But you ever want those days back? Because every day with him or her was sweeter than the day before. Until it wasn't. <laughs> Until it wasn't, and then, yeah. But there's a season, right? Yeah. That season never ended for John with Jesus. It's good. It's good. How I wish that you and I could really see the goodness of Jesus. So Jesus radically redefines glory. He radically redefines greatness. And because he is God, his greatness is the standard for what is and what is not great. He made perfectly plain for John what God had briefly shown Moses. True greatness is goodness. What Moses learned and saw, and John saw, that true greatness is goodness, we, we ought to suspect 
This does explain why in a thousand different ways we long to be good and we long to be seen as good by others. Deep down we know the true significance isn't captured by how much you have or how much you know or or, or how many know your name. But true significance, real greatness is captured by whether or not You are good, and your life has been good somehow for others. True greatness is always, ultimately, goodness shared. And that's what John learned from Jesus. And that's why we want to be known as good mothers. That's why it bothers us when somebody says, you're a bad mother. Because it says, you failed. What you're drawing isn't worth seeing. You're a lousy father. No, no, no. We want to be told we're good, good mothers, good fathers, good friends, good workers. Because somehow we know that in the end, real greatness is bound up in goodness shared. True glory is not what we think it is. True glory, greatness that lasts and makes a lasting difference is not found where we think it's found. Go ahead and win 15 championships. Then the Hokies will show up. (laughs) And your whole life will be marked by a defeat by a bunch of Hokies. <laughs> now, if there isn't a lesson there, I don't know what's there. Do we have any Hokies in the room? Well, you're one proud guy today, aren't you? <laughs> I just got one thing to say to you. There's, that's no glory. There's no glory. As great as it feels, it's not greatness. See, true glory is something God has, something God defines, because true greatness is what he is and what he has. And when we see him as he really is in Jesus, Jesus makes all of this clear. True greatness is goodness shared. Want to live a great life? Finally, John helps us to see what true glory or greatness actually brings. Look at verses 16 to 18. So he says in verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then he says in verse 15, And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And so notice it with me that as John closes his prologue, he explains what the fullness of the glory, the goodness or grace and truth of Jesus means, what it means to those who see it. In verse 16, he says that it is from this fullness that believers receive, and I love this picture, grace upon grace. It's grace piled upon grace, piled upon grace, piled upon grace, piled upon grace. 
one blessing after another. And it's from this fullness of God's glory and goodness in Christ, John says, that we have received more grace than we can imagine. Look at verse 17. He says, for example, from the fullness of his goodness, we've received not just the old grace gift of the law of Moses, uh, the law was a good gift. It said this is what God is like and, and this is what he expects and he has a right to expect. The problem, of course, with the law was it could never help us obey it. It could show us what God wanted, but it could never help us give God what he wanted. And so the law was pretty frustrating. Have you ever, ever realized that? Yes, you have. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. You cannot obey the Ten Commandments for one hour. Just try it in your own strength. You will fail. You will fail. You can't do it. So the, the, the law of Moses could point us to life, but it couldn't give us life. It could point us to what God wanted, but it couldn't give us the ability to give God what he wanted. But this has been replaced, verse 17 says, by a, a new grace gift, the, the gift of grace and truth in Christ, the one who fulfilled the law for us so that we might be accepted by God. God's goodness, in other words, John is saying, found a way for us to be made good again in Jesus. I love that. God's goodness found a way for us to be made good again in Christ. With that great exchange that happened at the cross. This was God's heart for us. This was the unseeable God's greatness put on living physical display by Jesus. Greatness is goodness shared. And for this reason, John says, we've all received more grace than we imagined. And the sight of the glory of Jesus is ultimately then and finally satisfying. What does glory seeing do for us? It satisfies. Moses had cried out, show me your glory, and he got a view of God's afterglow. Jesus came and gave us the fullest display human eyes could ever bear see. He is the Father's glory. So John says he saw to the full what everyone longs to see, the glory of God. And he said, I came away from my seeing full. I came away from my seeing satisfied, grace upon grace. It is only in the seeing of the glory and the goodness of God that we human beings are finally made full. You'll never be full until you behold the perfect Glory and the goodness of God. Everything your heart longs for is bound up in him. Bound up in seeing him, knowing him, being made like him. And this is the reason for our existence. And this is what God restores to us in Christ. I love the way Paul describes how this works in the life of a believer in 2 Corinthians 3. How it is that God gives to believers great lives worth living. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, he says, we all, all believers, live now that we found Jesus with an unveiled face. And we live beholding, he says, seeing the glory of the Lord. 
And as we live beholding, seeing the glory, the goodness, the greatness of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image as Jesus. And we go ourselves from one degree of glory and greatness to another. This is the path to glory. This is the path to greatness. I fix my eyes upon Jesus. And in seeing him as he is, I come to be transformed by what I see. And when I'm transformed by what I see, what I discover is his glory and his greatness come to be mine. I come to share in his goodness, which means I come to share in his greatness. Now watch this. This is good. Watch this. First, we start with Jesus by believing that he is the son of God, the savior of the world. And we continue by believing in him as the son of God and the savior of the world. But the way we continue to grow and to become like him is to move from believing to beholding. Behold him. When you get up in the morning, get in the word, look at Jesus, keep your eyes on Jesus. That's how your life will be changed. If you say, I've been a Christian, I've been a follower of Jesus for 20 years, and I've not really changed. I'm going to tell you why you've not really changed. It's not his fault, but you've been looking in the wrong place at the wrong thing, calling the wrong thing glory, when the only glory there is to see, the only glory that really lasts is the glory that belongs to Jesus Christ. If you aren't growing, it's because you got a glory problem. If you are more in love with Jesus today than you were yesterday, it's because you got a glory problem. See, watch this, watch this. Something has made its way into your life and said to you, I'm worth your living. I'm the source of real goodness. And anything that says that to you or to me that is not Jesus, the eternal word of God, is lying and will leave us empty. See, I, uh, I think that we all ought to have my second grade experience on a regular basis. But in an adult version. Because as we go on from the second grade, 
the issue becomes less and less what do you want to be and what do you want to do. It becomes more and more who have you been and what have you done. And every day with the days of our lives, we take the crayon of our lives to the manila paper God has given us to draw on. We draw a picture. And what we actually put on that paper is our glory. What we have loved, lived for, and longed for with our lives. And the day is coming when we're going to stand before God. And he's going to ask us, what did you think true greatness was? What was a truly great life for you? How did you go about getting it? And as we stand before him, the picture we drew with our lives will be the story that our lives told. He'll ask to see it. And if the picture we drew isn't a picture of the good and perfect Jesus, if the glory of your story was not him and his goodness shared, then the paper you will be holding will not have been worth the drawing. True greatness is goodness shared. Nothing more, nothing less. And if you would be truly great, you must be truly good. And your goodness must be measured by the perfect goodness of Jesus. If this seems impossible to you, it is. None of us can measure up to his greatness and his goodness. But by God's grace, what is impossible for us is entirely possible for him. And out of his great goodness shared... God made a way for us in Jesus to be both great and good with him. And by his perfectly good life, by his death on the cross for sinners, by the power of his resurrection, God in Jesus made a way for us 
to see his glory, share his glory. When we repent and confess and receive and put our faith in him, we find our sin and our imperfect lives exchanged for Christ's righteousness and his perfect goodness. God's glory becomes part of our story. And what we hear is what we always have wanted to hear. The voice of God speaking over us what he said at the beginning of creation. I made you. And you are very good. Because when I see you, I see my Jesus. That is why they call the gospel the good news. Somebody say amen. Amen. Now, wasn't the prologue good? Yeah? Oh, Jesus is so very good. Father God, we bow in your presence this morning confronted afresh with your goodness shared in Jesus and father our confession is you are supremely great because you are supremely good and we know this because we have seen your supreme greatness and your supreme goodness in your Son as you've shared him with us. Oh, Father, my prayer is this. That those who have yet to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, And those who have yet to believe on him, putting their full faith and trust in him and in him alone, that they might see his glory, might behold him in his goodness and be saved. And my prayer for every believer is that they would move beyond believing to a lifetime of beholding so that day in and day out they are being transformed to become more like this great, glorious, supremely good Jesus. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name.
Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.